Hi friends, this is Pastor Brad. Thanks so much for joining us for this special edition of our podcast. This is a recording of our Bible study coming soon. For this study, we're going to be looking at, at gaining a better understanding of end times prophecy and what the Bible says about the second coming of Jesus. It's a very prevalent topic right now, and we hope that these sessions will help you as you navigate this challenging topic. The sessions will be coming out every two weeks, so keep checking back for the next one. We hope you enjoy your listen. Please reach out if you have any questions or comments. God bless you. Here we go. Um, we, we are going to be back in Mark chapter 13 again tonight. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, um, we're going to start out in Mark chapter 13. We're going to end up in a whole bunch of different places. We're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24, Daniel chapter 8, 9, 11, and 12, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, with a very brief stopover in Revelation chapter 13 as well. So just to give you an idea of, of the gentle cruise that we've got planned for our time tonight, um, but Mark chapter 13 is our basis. Now, you may be wondering, and, and I maybe I should have talked about this earlier, but you may be wondering why, as we talk about a study of end times and end times prophecy and, and all of these kind of things, why are we using Mark? Um, it seems like there's a book ready made for, for doing all of this. Why are we using Mark as opposed to, say, the book of Revelation? And the main reason for that is in this chapter, in Mark chapter 13, we have Jesus' disciples asking Jesus essentially the question we ask Jesus when it comes to understanding end times. What are the signs we're supposed to look for? What are we supposed to be on alert for? And we have Jesus answering that question. Jesus will answer the question. He will say, this is not what to look for. And that's that's what we talked about last time. He'll say, this is what to look for. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And then he, he will even get into what his second coming will look like. That's what we're going to answer at the next one. But these are the words of Jesus to his followers about what they should be doing, what they should expect, and what they should look for. And so as Jesus followers for us today, these, these things pass along to us. These, these same things that are true for them are true for us. So when Jesus says, don't look for this, we shouldn't look for that. And when Jesus says, look for this, then we know what we should be looking for, that, that these are Jesus' disciples asking Jesus the very question we ask Jesus when it comes to the studying of end times. So it gives us a guideline of what Jesus himself would say, here's what to look for. And so I think that the, and it gives us a baseline understanding of, of what to do with the information presented to us. And we can have a confidence that we're looking in the right places because these are the places Jesus said to look for. And so I think it's the best place that we can start is with the word of Jesus and then allow that us and, and our time together to build off of that. Like I say, to all kinds of different places this morning. But as we've laid the groundwork for how to do Bible study and what not to look for, we've talked about what Jesus said were not the signs, even if some of us thought they might be. But now we get to the good stuff. Um, at the end of our last Bible study, as we talked about Jesus, all the things Jesus said not to look for, we said that he ended his, or the next verse began with the word, but. And Jesus begins to unpack what the signs are that we should be looking for. And so we turn to Mark chapter 13, verse 14. 
which will say this. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And from there, Jesus goes on to talk about what this will be like. And we will read the rest of those verses in just a moment. But here is just an intro into what we're going to be talking about. Jesus tells us, these are, none of these are the signs to look for, and those are in the previous verses. But he says, but what you need to be looking for is the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be. So that's the sign we're to look for. We're done. Okay, what's the abomination of desolation? You know, that, 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 that's not something that fits on a name tag. Um, that, that's not a, a typical uh, title or something that we would typically say, oh, we know exactly what that is or what that means. In fact, probably as you read that, my guess is that you could, like me, don't really know what that under, what is an abomination of desolation and where ought not they be doesn't exactly jump off the page to you. And so to understand this, we're going to need to put into practice a bunch of what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, because it's mentioned here, it's mentioned in Matthew, it's referenced in Luke, and it's talked about extensively in Daniel. And so to get all of this, we're going to need to do some digging to try and understand all of this. Because this isn't, and this isn't hyperbole, that this idea and this verse are one of the most difficult concepts in, in the Gospel of Mark and the entire New Testament to understand. And it's not just me saying this as like a precursor for us trying to understand it so that you would say, wow, Brad said it was really hard. And then we walked through it. Um, but lots of commentaries that if you, if you go to a lot of commentaries, they will say this, this one little phrase that Jesus says that he, he sort of just says, it's a lot for us to dig deep and understand and unpack all of these things. And so together, we're going to try and unpack what this thing, <coughs> excuse me. We're going to try and unpack what this thing that Jesus said would be a sign to watch for. What it is, what does it look like, and what does it being a sign mean for us? Goodness. So, let's dig in. So, we're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through till the end of verse 22. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he not, ought not be, let the reader understand. We'll talk about what that means, that let the reader understand thing, what that means in just a moment, because the exact same thing is said in Mark or in Matthew. But it says, so, then let those who, who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So when you see this thing happening, we already get a clue. We're, we're supposed to run to the mountains, especially if you're in Judea. So what's taking place here is Israel-focused, um, that, that whatever this abomination of desolation is and the, when it, the place that it's not be, then, then the people who are in Judea would need to flee to the mountains. So Israel, Judea, something is taking place there. Verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anyone or to take anything out verse 16 and let the one who is in the field not turn back for his cloak verse 17 and alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days 
Jesus isn't saying there's, that there's anything wrong with being pregnant or being a mom. But what he's talking about is urgency and fleeing. He's saying, if you're up on the roof of your house, just go. Don't even go back inside to get anything out. And, and if you're in the field, just go. Don't go back to try and get anything. From wherever you are, just go. And he's saying, if you're a mom who's nursing or you're pregnant, that's a really hard position to, to move with urgency. Um, because babies are not easy to just pack up and go. Or if you're expecting a baby, it's not easy for you to just pack up and go. So Jesus is really expressing the urgency of this go to the mountains, that whenever this is taking place, we need to get out, we need to go. And so Jesus is saying, don't go back. And if you're pregnant, it's going to be tough. Verse, verse 18 Pray that it may not happen in winter. And now a verse like this opens up a whole gigantic discussion that we could have about prayer and the effect of prayer and what is God's infinite foreknowledge know and why would God say pray that it, it wouldn't happen in winter? Wouldn't God already know when it was happening and if it was going to happen in winter? But if he did know, but he told us to pray, does that mean that our prayers could change God's mind? There's a whole giant thing that we could unpack from this one little verse. We're not going to do that because we do not have time. Verse 19, for those or for in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been seen since the beginning of creation that God created until now never will be. Verse 20, and if the Lord has not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Verse 21. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Um, oh, I forgot to, to skip to the next verse there. If possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. So here's a short version of everything we just read, and we'll really get into it. There is this thing called the abomination of desolation, and it's going to end up standing where it shouldn't be. And when you see that thing standing in that place, run away from Israel, run away from Jerusalem, hide if you're in Judea. Don't listen to people telling you about false Christ, telling you that Jesus came. Or Remember, we've talked about this a few times. We will know when Jesus comes. We won't need someone to tell us. We will know. And our job is to remain faithful and trust in Jesus regardless of what's going on around us. So let's see what we can learn about what an abomination of desolation might be and where the place it should not be is. The phrase abomination of desolation seems to be referring to some kind of idol of some sort. And we know this because when we look at a word like abomination, that's a word that shows up in the New Testament a bunch. And in that context or in the context that, that it would be used, it's pretty well universally referring to some kind of idol, something that's an abomination to the Lord, something that, that is, is an idol set up for the people like when Moses went up on the mountain to go receive the Ten Commandments from God and came back and the people had created a gold image and they began to worship that. So, so we get the, 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 the idea of this thing that's, that's an idol and, and the word abomination is almost universally used in connection with that. 
often enough for sure to us to, for us to understand that on some level this will be an idol or a source of idolatry some object of worship other than god and we're going to find out in a moment that jesus is actually talking about something that's talked about from the old testament from the book of daniel and this adds more strength to the idea that if we understand the term abomination in the old testament context that we're understanding it correctly because Jesus, what Jesus is talking about here is actually from the Old Testament. The, the prophecies for this begin in the book of Daniel. And so if we understand the abomination in light of an Old Testament context, we can understand that it probably will have something to do with um, idolatry or, or the corruption of worship towards God. So that's abomination. But what does of desolation tell us? Well, the desolation we're going to see is, is probably referring to the temple or to the worship of God's being spiritually desolate, maybe physically desolate. But as we unpack all that we're going to look at tonight, I think it, it will become abundantly clear that the desolation that, that we're talking about here is going to be more of a spiritual desolation than a physical desolation, that the desolation that this abomination brings isn't necessarily going to be like the laying waste of buildings or the laying waste of lives, but that it would be more of a spiritual desolation, that, that the worship of God is going to be corrupted. Um, it would probably be more spiritual things. So we, it's an idol that ends up being someplace it shouldn't be and changes affects or stops the worship of God taking place. So when we look at the name, the, the abomination of desolation being somewhere where it ought not be, this is kind of the, the context that we have some kind of idol that's affecting the worship of God. Now, the next piece that we need to get in or get in about this is about the sign about the abomination of desolation is this idol that's causing the worship of God to be changed is that Jesus will say when it is standing where he ought not be. What does that mean? Well, in the book of Mark, uh, we don't get much info about this. Um, we, we, we don't get that much, but this isn't the only gospel that jo shows us what Jesus had to say here. We can turn to the book of Matthew and that can give us more insight. Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, um, as well is a parallel passage for each other. And that means they're just different accounts of what Jesus had to say. And, and if you know scripture, you know that, that the gospels, they're not verbatim trans or, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Transcriptions of everything that Jesus said. They're the things that the Holy Spirit inspired these writers to, to have that Jesus said. So sometimes there's a little bit of a different focus. Some gospels will tell a story much shorter. Some will tell it longer. Some will have a little bit of a different focus. And so Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21 are all, are all parallel passages of this same talk that Jesus gives about all these things with just a little bit of a different focus. Luke 21 is the most different than the other two. But if we go to Matthew chapter 24, this is what Jesus will say. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So there's some more information. Standing in the holy place. There's some more information. Then he uses this phrase, let the reader understand. Same phrasing that was used in Mark. 
what really that phrase, let the reader understand, will refer to is it's kind of Matthew and, and Mark's kind of way of letting us know that, like, if you do some digging here, you'll get this. That, that they're, you know, they didn't put in footnotes and kind of all of that into their writing, that they didn't, you know, put a little asterisk and then at the bottom, like, see Daniel 9. Um, your Bible may do that, but they didn't do that. But this was kind of their way of saying, like, Jesus is talking about something here that you can go in and find more about. So when it says, let the reader understand, it, it just means there's, there's some work you could do here to bring some clarity to what Jesus is talking about here. But we get two new pieces of information here. First, um, it's certainly the Old Testament that Jesus is talking about. And Matthew even tells us where to look. The book of Daniel. So that's why in just a few minutes, we are going to be jumping into the book of Daniel and going through a whole bunch of unbelievably confusing scripture um, that all have to do with this. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But second, the, the, it's not just that this abomination of desolation is standing where it shouldn't, but instead Matthew gives us a more complete picture, a more specific picture. It's stand, excuse me, it's standing in the holy place. So it's an idol of some sort that is going to affect or change the worship of God. It's connected to something Daniel talked about, and we'll get to that. And it will end up being in the holy place. So, so let's look at that for a moment. Because the holy place, that's not a specific descriptor of an individual place. There, there was no Jewish context for if somebody were to say, we're going to the holy place, that we would go, oh, we know exactly where that is. What would have been the holy place for a first century Jew? Well, of course, it would have been connected to the temple, um, that that is their, their holy place. But probably not a blanket answer of just the temple, but probably a specific place inside the temple. See, the temple had layers. The most inside part of the temple was called the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. Then there was an inner chamber around it, and that would have been a, a holy place. And outside of that layer, there was a courtyard where only priests could go, where they would offer their, their sacrifices. So probably, and then, uh, <coughs> excuse me, beyond that, um, there would have been the general courtyard where Jews and Gentiles and anybody and everybody could really go. So probably not that. Could have been that, could be that, we don't know. But probably one of those first three layers, the Holy of Holies, the next layer, or the, the, where the sacrificial area where the priests would go. So it's an idol that's found inside one of the most sacred spaces of the temple. And that kind of exhausts what we can find about this from the Gospels. Um, but Matthew does give us a place we can go. So we're going to move now to the book of Daniel. Now, before we go to the book of Daniel, we need to have a short little discussion about Daniel. Um, because this is where things are going to get very complicated. Um, the second half of Daniel is a very tough go. Um, the first half of Daniel is the story of Daniel and his life. And that's the part of the book that everybody's familiar with. The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, the Daniel fast, all of those kinds of things take place in the first half of the book of Daniel. The second half of the book of Daniel is just all prophecy. 
and it's confusing prophecy. It is probably some of the most difficult parts of the Bible to understand. We could probably do this every Tuesday for an entire year and just slog through it all and maybe make some headway. But the book of Daniel is a very, very difficult go because it's Daniel prophesying these things that he's seeing. But, and as we'll even get into tonight, there, there is just, it's like a moving target. It's constantly moving and changing and, and, and all kinds of things. So as we go through this, there's going to be a lot of, of, background and a lot of things that I'm going to need to just sort of say and this and we're going to have to just try our best to understand that but so we're going to start at Daniel chapter 8 verse 13 and we're going to have to unpack some chunks of these verses even as as we go um, I, I won't read you the whole verse but oh I mean I will end up reading you the whole verse but I'm going to sort of read through it in chunks just to help us make sure we're on the same page so Daniel chapter 8, verse 13 says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke. So Daniel here, he, he's receiving a vision, and he's hearing a conversation happening between two spiritual beings. An angel talking to another angel, something like that. He's, he's hearing one speaking and another one answering. And what the, the one holy... One says to the other is, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering? The transgression on that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and hosts be untrampled. Sorry, for how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate? So, we need to talk about language here for a moment. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew, whereas the New Testament was primarily written in Greek. But in Jesus's day, most of the common text of the Old Testament was actually in Greek. So we would call the Greek Septuagint. That, that Greek, Koine Greek, was the common language of the day. And so as you wanted to have people being able to understand what it is that you wrote and have it go beyond just people who understood Hebrew, which was a very small amount of people, things got translated into Koine Greek. And so the Old Testament would have been in Koine Greek and was called the Greek Septuagint. And then the New Testament was written in Greek as well, so that they could go out into all of the world. And this phrase here, the transgression that makes desolate, is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek phrase, abomination of desolation. So it's like we're getting the tra translation of a translation that the Hebrew has taken it into the Greek, and then we're getting the Greek reference of the Hebrew. And so that's when it says the transgression that makes desolate is another way of saying the abomination of desolation. And, and, sorry, and then the verse concludes, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot. Now, like I said, we could just spend the rest of our time together unpacking this verse and the verses around it. And if you want to read Daniel chapter 8 through 12, you will understand why it's complicated. There are sections of the Bible that are very easy to understand. 
very easy to unpack. You can read the story, you can understand it, you can figure out the application for your life and you can feel you can feel really good about yourself for doing that. There are sections that are more challenging, that are more difficult. Scripture will say that, you know, First Timothy will say that all scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And there are some passages where that's easy to see. There are some passages where like, I really got to try and figure out why this is in here. And then there's the last half of Daniel, probably the most difficult part of the Bible to fully unpack and understand. But here we get this picture again, that there's this idol being in the temple and it's affecting the worship of God that's taking place. As he talks about, um, as we read that, how long the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, that's the sacrifice that's taking place in the temple. How long is, is this going to be affected by the abomination of desolation and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? So there's something taking place inside the temple. Now, if we jump ahead to Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 through 27, so the next chapter over is the next place this theme of the abomination of desolation shows up. Daniel chapter 9 is actually an amazing prophecy about the timing of when the Messiah is going to show up. That if you read through the first 25 verses of Daniel chapter 9, it's an incredible prophecy about when Jesus is going to show up. And if obviously by jumping in at verse 26, we're coming in in the middle of that. But verse 26 is actually a transition point. First 25 verses are about the the Jesus coming the, the first time, but verse 26 start uh, is a transition point where it starts to look at stuff that happens after the, the coming of the Messiah. But here's where things get, here's, well, not just worth, but here's where one of the things that gets really complicated in the book of, of Daniel. And you're going to need to know this to understand this. But what we're going to see is that Daniel is going to refer to weeks. Um, but what you need to know is that weeks don't mean weeks. Um, as he unpacks all of this, um, sometimes he'll talk about a week and a week will mean a year. Sometimes a day means a year. So sometimes he'll refer to a week and he's actually referring to a period of seven years Sometimes he'll refer to a week, and each week counts as a year. This can be established, um, but we don't have time to walk through all of that tonight. That there's a lot more that we would have to do, and this, this session is already going to be long enough and difficult enough without having to walk back all of that. If you would care to want to do the Bible study on all of that, I can get you all of the information, and you are more than welcome to do that. But what, what we need to know is that as we read through this, Daniel's going to seemingly give us some very firm time constraints that have to do with weeks. But what you need to know is that he's not talking about weeks and you can see that. And we'll even come to a, pl a couple places where we can understand that, where Daniel will talk about how this thing is going to take place in a week. And then he'll say half of it is 1300 days. Well, we know that those two things don't add up. But half of seven years is 1,300 days. And so, so we'll see that as we go. So look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 26. 
And after the 62 weeks, it's referring to 62 years, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. Um, that's referring to Jesus and his death. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is probably referring to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, that the, the, the prince of, of the people who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This is a real event, takes place in Jerusalem when the Romans destroy the temple in A.D. 70. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. This is going to take place. But then we come to verse 27, and I believe that th this is another jump into the future. And it's going to talk about a he, but it doesn't necessarily tell us who this he is. But I think as we go through, we'll understand. Verse 27, and he shall make a covenant with many for one week. Now, this is where it gets confusing because the weeks have been years but here is actually probably referring to a seven week period that when he says that he will make a, a, a covenant or I forgot to switch the verse, he will make a strong covenant with them for a week is probably referring to a seven year period. Your Bible may even have a footnote depending on your translation and all of that, that after it says one week, it may have a little footnote to tell you that it also means seven. And we'll talk more about this in a moment. Then it will say, for half the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. So again, we see here this connection to the temple. So there's going to be this covenant made with Israel, this covenant made with Israel that's going to affect the temple. But halfway through this seven-year period, this, this, this covenant, this deal, something's going to take place and the temple is going to be no longer allowed to have sacrifices. Now, this seems to correspond with Revelation and other places in Scripture that talk about a seven-year period of tribulation. And, as, you know, at the middle of that seven years, uh, there's, a, there's an increased level of difficulty. And, and so we, we see that there, there seems to be a parallel here. Let's, let's keep going forward. Ver, the next part of verse 27 will say, And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate, abomination of desolation until this decree or until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. So on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. The wing of abominations shall come on one or shall come one who makes desolate is like a longhand version of the abomination of desolation. All the words are in there. It's just saying it in a bit of a grander way. And so as this is taking place is when we have revealed the one who makes desolate. So there's this seven-year period where there's this deal made with Israel. And, and at the partway through, the person who's made this deal, made this covenant with Israel, is going to do something to stop worship in the temple. And that's when we will discover that this is the abomination of desolation. But we also read that the end of the, uh, this abomination of desolation is destruction, that in the end, whatever he's trying to do, it will not be accomplished. And so what 
what it seems like, and maybe you're, you're tracking here with me, but what it seems like is that this probably isn't an idol or a statue or some kind of like physical idol. That it's not a ball or it's not a statue of, of some other God, but it seems like it's more like it's a person. And um, we're going to look to discover more about that in Second Thessalonians in, in just a couple moments. But it seems like what's going to take place is that there's this person that's going to enter into a relationship with Israel and with the temple in Jerusalem. Now, there's lots that needs to be unpacked there because for, for this to be something that is going to take place, there's one big important part of that story that we're missing right now. We have no temple. So, you know, if, in order for all of this to be and uh, something we can look forward to, we are going to need at some point to see a temple. But, and there's the Temple Institute who's looking to rebuild the temple, and there are things like that that are taking place. But it seems like there's this person that will enter into a relationship with the temple in Jerusalem, and for, for seven years it affects the, the, the worship of God, and at three and a half years the worship of God is halted, and there's no longer worship to God allowed inside of the temple. And at, at the end of that, they're brought to, the, brought to destruction. So... It seems like we're getting some more puzzle pieces here. Are you tracking with me? Is this all kind of making sense? I know these verses, especially in Daniel, are, they're, they're hard to, to wrap our mind around. But if we want to go to the next place in Daniel, move ahead two chapters. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31. And what that will say is, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortresses. So again, we get this reference to the temple and, and things going on there. And it seems to say that it's not that the temple will be destroyed as much as it will be profaned or it will be, uh, depending on your translations, it might say something like disgraced or desecrated. That the, There's going to be something taking place inside the temple that it's not going to just necessarily destroy the temple, but it's going to be offensive to what the temple was designed to do, that it's going to be problematic for what the temple was supposed to be. Then it will say, and she'll take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up this abomination that makes desolate. Abomination of desolation. So again, we get this reference to there's the temple and things are going to be not happening the way they are. And it's a result of this abomination that makes desolate, the des abomination of desolation. Next place we're going to go to, and this is the last one that we're going to look at in Daniel tonight. Um, Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to jump to verse 11. And what it will say. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So complicated for all of that to happen in a week. And then verse 12 will say, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. 
you do the math there, 1,335 and technically 1,090 because they're not that far apart, almost exactly three and a half years. So we see these constant threads take place between Jesus and Mark, Jesus and Matthew, and the book. Let's, let's pack this for a minute. Let's sort of regroup, come back around, and let's re-sort of this we've talked about. We see, we see in beginning with Jesus that Jesus says, as we began to look at Matthew, it's like talking to my kids. As we begin with Mark 13, Jesus says, these are all the signs that you're not of wars and things are going to get hard to be difficult and families are going to be turning against each other and all of these things that's just life with it's going to be this thing that jesus calls the abomination of desolation then we know jesus will say run to the hills um and And it seems kind of change or corruption or stoppage to the way that God has worked. Just to watch for that. You can watch for it. And when you do watch for it, you're supposed to flee to Judea. And when we read in Matt, flee to Judea. Um, and Matthew tells us that this was actually by Daniel. And so we go to Daniel to get Daniel seems to say that it's not a thing that is an idol, but it's a person. Person is bringing about this abomination and seem to do that in the middle of the seven year treaty or covenant with Israel. Seven year covenant or treaty with off sacrifices. And it's at this point, halfway through these seven years, that they set up this abomination. In other words, the worship of the worship of God is stopped towards this repurposed for this bad guy character that's coming. That what's taken there? There's this person entered for seven years. After three and a half years, he says. God, you're worshiping me. And God that takes place inside of the temple is now no longer allowed to happen, but in aimed or it is just um, whatever the other words that we look at. destroyed, but it's that inside the temple that's disgracing the temple. Now, place that I'd like to go inside the New Testament that I believe seems to be pointing us to this abomination of desolation character. Although to be fair, that isn't used here. And so there isn't a direct line between these two, but I think that as we walk through this and unpack what Paul has to say in the book of second Thessalonians, we, you will hopefully come to the same discovery that I had that these are probably referring to the same thing. So I want to take us to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And this is where Paul seems to be talking about this 
situation that Jesus and Daniel were talking about. It harmonizes really well with what they had to say, and it also gives us some more details. So let's read through the, the oh, I think to verse 12. So we're going to look at the first 12 of 2 Thessalonians. So, of 2 Thessalonians. So Paul writes, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, ask the brothers. This is the topic. Paul is, Paul to the church in Thessalonica, in Second Thessalonians, and he wants to talk to them about Jesus coming and us being gathered to him. So that's what this discussion is going to be about. Now, verse two, not to be mind or alarmed either by a spirit or by a spoken word or by a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So Paul is even stressing here again, the same thing that Jesus has been stressing about being true to understanding what's taking place um, that, that if you, if you get a letter from somebody or somebody tells you that the day of the Lord is at hand, don't be worried, don't be freaked out. But the other thing that he seems to indicate here is that the things that he's talking about, they haven't yet happened. Verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, Paul begins to let us know some of the things that are going to need to happen before the coming of Jesus. He talks about this rebellion or apostasy, as other translations will say, depending on what your Bible says. It may say rebellion. It may say apostasy. It may say falling away. Um, but that, that will need to take place. And then he talks about this man of lawlessness being revealed. And listen to how Paul describes him. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, if this is the same person and the same situation that Jesus talked about, and it's the same situation that Daniel talked about, then this kind of confirms what Daniel seems to suggest, that this abomination of desolation is in fact a person. But it also gives some clarity on what that, that would look like. They were, <coughs> excuse me, they were not setting up the worship of another god, idea, or religion, but rather they were setting up a self-worship. They were seeing themselves, or they were setting themselves up as God. They are presenting themselves as an object of worship. It's not, don't worship God, worship this. Instead, it's, it's don't worship God, worship me. And this connects to Revelation really well. The second beast that we read about in Revelation will present an image of himself, the Antichrist, for worship. And he sets up a system where you have to worship him under pain of death. In, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 13, it will say this, it performed great signs. We're going to talk about that more in a moment because this is something that Paul says that this man of lawlessness will have, that he'll have great signs. Even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, that this, this, this antichrist, this beast is going to come, even with signs that look a whole lot like the prophet Elijah, verse 14. 
Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So we get this, this picture of this man of lawlessness who sets himself up as God, who has people worshiping him in place of God in the temple. We read about the abomination of desolation, who is going to disrupt worship in the temple and set himself up as an idol. And we read about the, the these beasts in Revelation, where he will deceive the entire world into worshiping him. It's very interesting to see how these things are harmonizing that seems to, to be bringing together some of these threads from across the Bible. Now, verse 5, if we jump back to, to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 5 will say, do, or do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Verse 8. And then, lawless, or then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring nothing by the appearance of his coming. So this, this person will do these things, but Jesus will take care of him. He says Jesus will kill him at his second coming with, with the breath of his mouth. Now remember when we read back in... Daniel, the end of the abomination of desolation was destruction. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So remember what we read in Revelation, that he would perform great signs, even equivalent to what Elijah did, calling fire from heaven and, and those kinds of things. And so here we have Paul saying that this lawless one will have all kinds of power and false signs and wonders. So there's these super, supernatural things that will bring credibility to this person and, and what they have to say about themselves. And, and that's going to be an identifier for, for many believers that, that as they're being deceived, they will say, look, how could anyone do this if they weren't from God? And that's the power that's, that, that there is going to be able to be on display. But remember, it's, it's all false, that we're not supposed to follow signs and wonders. We're not supposed to just merely buy into the fact that, look at these amazing signs and these amazing things that they can do. Remember what we read about the second beast. It, was, it had all of these powers, and it set up people to worship it. Now we go to verse 10. We're almost through here. And with all wicked, with and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion, so that many believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So let's bring this back around again one last time. This sounds an awful lot like the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about. It brings in and harmonizes content from both Daniel and the book of Revelation in a really interesting way. 
It talks about this man of lawlessness who would lead a rebellion or a falling away, that that's how this person gets into the power they're in, how they're able to make a treaty with Israel. It, you know, Israel's not going to make just a treaty with me because, hey, why not? It's going to be somebody who has a following, somebody who's a leader, someone who has people with them that would have the authority to be able to do that. So there's going to be this falling away that will take place. And he'll even use signs and miracles, even seemingly miracles right out of the Old Testament to build credibility for people. And after he's built up his followers and deceived people, he would set himself up as an object of worship for the people or for the people, even going so far as to take a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself as God. But ultimately, Jesus will defeat him. The thing that brings all of this to an end is the second coming of Christ. And when we compare what we've learned about the abomination of desolation from Jesus and Daniel, they all seem to line up pretty well. We can see that Mark 13, Matthew 24, the references in the book of Daniel and 2 Thessalonians all seem to be speaking about the same thing. They've just given different details that help fill in the information to provide us with a complete picture of everything that's taking place. You can take all of this in and build an outline of a picture. We know that all of this is, and, and, and to, to go back to where we started, all of this was something that Jesus said was going to be a sign of his second coming. We may not know all of the details, but we know that all of these are details of what we will see. We may not know all the details, but we know that these are the details. We've been given the dots. We don't know exactly the order in which to connect them, but they are all here. And Jesus said, this is something to be looking for. So let's wrap all of this up. We, we, we have Jesus, when asked by his disciples, what are some signs that we should look for regarding the destruction of the temple? And we see Jesus answer that question with a bigger answer than just that event. But he begins by telling his disciples what not to look for. Then he tells them, and he tells us by default, something that we can be looking for. And so that's something that we need to be paying attention to. Because this isn't trying to figure out something that we, frankly, are not 100% sure we can even figure out. But this is Jesus saying to his followers, this is something you can understand. This is something you to be on the lookout for. This is something to be on the watch out for. And he begins to describe this abomination of desolation. And through reading the Bible in context and reading other passages, we've been able to figure out a few things. We're not able to figure out everything. But we've been able to put together some things that we can know about the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus. But more than just this person to watch for, I think that these prophecies of Jesus show us a couple things that we need to know that are bigger than just, to, or than just watch out for the abomination of desolation. The first thing that I think we can take away from this for sure, in our understanding of end times and what it's going to look like, the first thing we need to know is that we need Jesus. That as persecution may come, as public pressure may come against our faith, that we're going to need to cling to Jesus in order to make it through what the future holds for us. That was Jesus' main point. Hang on, hold on. That there's going to be a whole bunch of things that are going to happen that's going to make it increasingly and increasingly and increasingly difficult for us to hold on to Jesus 
in our faith, that there's going to be this, this abomination of desolation, this man of lawlessness, this beast, whatever you want to call it. And there's going to be all kinds of signs and amazing things and things that we're going to be able to point to in scripture and be able to say, look, he called down fire from heaven, just like Elijah did. How could he not be of God? And it's going to take us a lot to hold on to Jesus. That we need to not be suckered in by signs and wonders. We need to, to hold on to Jesus. But it also... To, uh, also, so on top of that, that we need that we just need Jesus. We need to know Jesus. How many times did we read about in the passages? Did we read about how we need to be on guard against being deceived? How many times did Jesus talk about? There's going to be people preaching a false gospel. There's going to be false Christ. We saw um, Paul tells this church in Thessalonica and second Thessalonians, the same thing. There's going to be false Christ. There's going to be people claiming to be Jesus. There's even going to be people doing amazing signs and wonders, but we need to know Jesus. So as the deceptions come and the falling away comes and the apostasies come and all of these things take place, the only way that we're going to be able to remain faithful, to truly remain faithful and not be deceived is to, to cling to Jesus and to know who it is that we're clinging to. Otherwise, it will be very easy for us to fall away. But all of these things lead us to the second coming of Jesus. And that leads us to our next question and the topic we will cover next time. What does Jesus say the second coming of Jesus would look like? What does he say the second coming will be like? Find you in your pain. I feel it in me like the Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca, or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. I feel it in me like the beating of life in my
gonna be some brighter days I swear that love will find you in your pain I feel it in me like the beating of life in my veins Oh, I know there's gonna be some brighter days Oh, I swear that love will find you in your pain I feel it in me like the beating of life in my veins I know there's gonna be some brighter days Some pride.